All right, um, I want to introduce our speaker for today. I call him a guest speaker, but he's really not. He's been here a lot. And so, well, I mean, he is in the sense that we don't see him every week. But um, Edwin Lin is going to be sharing with us today. He's Daniel's brother-in-law. He's spoken for us multiple times before. Um, and if you were at our youth retreat this year, uh, our summer youth retreat with the other CCICs, you'll remember he was our speaker. It was the first time we had um, a college professor giving um, the messages at our retreat. But uh, if you know Edwin, he is a professor at UC Berkeley and also does, uh, also, also is someone who goes around and speaks at a lot of different churches in our area. And so we're grateful to have him back. Um, I specifically asked him to come today because as you all know, we've been looking at the, the triune God, the Trinity, the Father, the Son, the Holy Spirit. And we've talked a lot about the Father and how he loves and accepts us unconditionally. We've, last week we talked about how because Jesus is constantly forgiving us at the right hand of God, that's based on the fact that he died for us on the cross. That's what the Son is doing. And um, um, in many of my conversations with Edwin, uh, I get a great in-depth look of how he trusts God moment by moment and has lots of conversations with God, conversations that I've tried to learn from and to have this idea that God is constantly with us if we're aware of that. So I thought there's no one better to come and share with us about the Holy Spirit today. So would you welcome up Edwin Lynn? Okay, I guess I, I am going to... I'm going to walk. Okay. <laughs> All right. Morning, everyone. Um, thanks for having me here. It's a joy to speak with you all. Uh, I feel like, weirdly, it's been a while since I've spoken on a Sunday. When I say a while, I guess, oh, September, something like that. It's been a while. Anyways, um, we're talking about the Holy Spirit this morning. Uh, as Dan was talking about, I know you guys have been talking about the Son and the Father, right? And so we're kind of going through the triune three parts of who God is, right? Um, I always feel like the Holy Spirit is the one that we least feel familiar with. I feel like even when we're singing songs, right, a lot of the songs that people sing on a Sunday, right, usually about the Father or about Jesus, right? We have a whole holiday about Jesus, so, you know, we're pretty good about that. Um, but with those two persons, right, there's this third person, the Holy Spirit, and we always feel like that's a little weird. Like, we kind of know what a father is, because most of us have experienced having a father, we kind of know what Jesus is, like we, there's just so much around about the idea of Jesus the Son, but we don't really know what spirit is, right? Like most of us probably have never seen a spirit or a ghost, right? Like some people call it the Holy Ghost, right? Like that seems weird. It seems very peculiar. And so I feel like out of the, the three persons of God, this one's often the least understood. But what I want to present to you all today by looking at the Bible is, you know, why I think in some ways this is the most valuable Almost, okay, I know that's, that sounds really weird to say, but I would say like post-Jesus in the New Testament, like the Holy Spirit is the way in which we experience God on a regular basis all the time now. Like this is the definition or this is the way that you might know and experience and walk and live with God on an everyday basis after Jesus had died, resurrected, and, you know, gave us the Holy Spirit, okay? So um, I kind of want to basically illustrate two things in today's sermon, right? The first one is just like, I want to convince you that this is someone that you should care about and want to know, okay? So on a very fundamental level, just like, you should care about the Holy Spirit and think more about him and like be more you know, attentive because he's got a lot to offer us. But second, um, the thing I want to, I guess, show or illustrate is what does it look like? 
to engage and be kind of aware and walk with the Holy Spirit, right? Okay, so uh, let's kind of look at the first verse here. Okay, so uh, Daniel did this verse a few weeks ago, perhaps, right? Uh, what father among you, if his son asks for a fish, will instead of a fish give him a serpent? Or if he asks for an egg, will give him a scorpion? If you then, who are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will the Heavenly Father give the Holy Spirit to those who ask him? Okay. So very kind of, I'm not going to kind of go over the parts that Daniel talked about, right? Like, we know how to give good gifts to children. If we ask God for something, for good gifts, and then of course, I don't know if you can tell from the language, right? Who are evil? You, you who are evil, you know how to give good gifts to your children. How much more will the Heavenly Father, who is not evil, <laughs> you expect him to say, give great gifts, or give wonderful gifts, or give good gifts, right? You expect that parallelism. But instead, um, the author here, and also Jesus perhaps, said the Holy Spirit, right? Like this is the indication that for Jesus, he would say the greatest gift that God has given us is the Holy Spirit. I really want us to think about that because when you ask God for gifts, like think about the last thing you prayed about, the last thing you asked God for, you might think that it's a good thing if God would give you that thing, right? Whatever that is, I need more time to do my homework. I need to do well in this essay. I need to, you know, whatever it is, you would think, oh, a good gift would be if he answers that prayer. But here, it's kind of like, well, actually, the greatest thing he could give you is the Holy Spirit. <laughs> like he answers your prayer by saying, oh, yeah, okay, you want to have an A on the test? Here's my spirit, right? And this is the greatest thing you could possibly have. So I think that it's peculiar, right? It's a little peculiar. It's a little weird, right? Like, but I asked for bread. Like, why are you giving me the Holy Spirit? Like, that's what I wanted, right? But something about this, this should kind of encourage us to think more deeply about this. Something about this, from God's perspective, if he were to say, what is the greatest thing that I could give you, right? It's the Holy Spirit. Jesus actually said this later on too, right? In John, he says, like, it's to your advantage that I leave because then the Holy Spirit will come to you right? Like in some ways, even Jesus is like, it's better that I'm not with you because you'll have something better than me. You're going to have the Holy Spirit, right? So again, this idea, it should, it should help us think or desire, like what is this? Why is this so great, right? And so um, to start us thinking about this though, um, I first want to make a distinction. So on the next slide, um, about the conscience real quick, right? Because I want to make a distinction, because I think that if I tell you, oh, the Holy Spirit is the greatest gift that God could ever give you, some of us might be a little tentative, or we might be like, I don't believe that. <laughs> and part of the reason might be because we don't really understand who the Holy Spirit is, right? So in order for us to believe that this is the greatest spirit, gift, we might first need to establish what is this gift? Who is this guy that God is giving us called the Holy Spirit? And one, I think, of the common misconceptions I know I definitely had growing up was I just thought that the Holy Spirit was the same thing as my conscience. And so um, this is like that idea, right? Like Homer Simpson's here, and then you've got the angel on one side and the devil on the other. And so I always thought, ah, that's the Holy Spirit right there. <laughs> okay. This guy that's in my head is a voice I hear that says, Edwin, you're doing this wrong. Stop doing that. <laughs> right? That's bad for you. Stop. <laughs> okay. Um, that voice doesn't seem like a very good gift to me because basically that's like my parents <laughs> always seeing everything that I'm doing and telling me what I'm doing wrong. Like, that's not a great gift, 
okay? Um, this term conscience does appear actually in the Bible, right? It is a separate term. It is a separate word that is used in the Bible that is not the same, of course, as the Holy Spirit. In the Bible, it, this word, this word conscience, and you can look it up if you want, but it can be both evil or good, and it refers more to this idea, right? This kind of like feeling or sense or like obligation, like a certain ideology. Um, in fact, I would say that the conscience generally comes from things like society and morality. So that's why it can be good or bad. Some things about society, like because God, uh, human beings were created in the image of God, um, sometimes society obviously gets it right. Like, we shouldn't kill people. Like, that seems pretty aligned with what God thinks. Society also agrees with that, right? But other things in society about ideas about morality and so on and so forth, they may not reflect actually God's teaching and God's moral values. And so we, though, will get that as part of our conscience. So I'll, I'll kind of use a simple example, and we'll see this in the, in the scripture. One of the things we might say is like, oh, if you do something bad, you should feel guilty, this is a kind of social value that you've been taught growing up, and especially in shame culture, if you come from an Asian culture, shame culture is very big on this. You need to feel shame, but this is not something that actually Jesus teaches, okay? And so we'll look at that because if you think that that voice in your head is like, well, you did something wrong, so you should feel bad. You need to fix this, and that's the Holy Spirit, then obviously that doesn't seem desirable. I don't think anyone wants to be constantly criticized by a voice in their head. That doesn't seem like a great gift. So we'll come back to this idea, but um, if you just, there's another thing, yeah. It's just, the Holy Spirit's primary goal is not to point out what we're doing morally wrong. I want to make that distinction very clear. And then, of course, on the next subsequent verses, this begs the question then, who is the Holy Spirit? What does the Holy Spirit sound like, and what does he, what is he about, right? So, Using the Bible. Um, there's a section, really, the chapters between John 14 and 16. Again, if you decide you want to learn more about the Holy Spirit, I encourage you. These are some great chapters to read. They're kind of the last parts of Jesus's, um, kind of his last words before he gets crucified. In this section, he talks quite a bit about the Holy Spirit. And I would say it's a really, it's kind of like there's a wealth of uh, a couple passages there that really illustrate who the Spirit is. But one of the things that Jesus says is, I will give you another helper to be with you forever, even the spirit of truth whom the world cannot receive because it neither sees him nor knows him. You know him, for he dwells with you and will be in you. So he's talking about giving us this helper. This term helper can be translated a whole bunch of different ways. Some people say advocate. Some people say counselor. Um, basically, you get the sense of an encourager or a guide somebody who is with you to walk with you through life and encourage you and guide you in that life. Um, and he, this helper, dwells with us and is with us all the time. Okay, so um, as Dan Matt said, like, I'm a teacher, fundamentally. Uh, I teach at Berkeley Shore. I teach sociology there. I also teach at a high school, right, the King's Academy. I coach debate there. Um, recently, a couple weeks ago, there's a tournament where a bunch of middle schoolers, it was like their first time doing speech and debate. Uh, I also had a couple... And I've, I still have a couple. I'm working with them this morning. Um, to uh, that, they're also going to be their first time debating. And then when I teach, I can only teach information. So, like in other words, I tell you, like this is how you construct a speech. This is how you make an argument, right? This is how you give the, this debate speech or that debate speech. This is how you do cross examination. So, I'll teach that information. But honestly, in my head, I'm like. I don't know how helpful this is. <laughs> like, it's just information, right? It's kind of like if I tried to explain to you how to drive a car, 
it's like, yeah, I can explain that, but like until you get into a car and like try to drive, like that's when you actually can learn, right? Like I have that feeling, like I kind of, there's like some part of me that wishes for these like middle schoolers and high schoolers, like I could like be in their ear while they're debating, right? <laughs> like they could just get like have this little earpiece and then I could just be like, this is what you say next. <laughs> like give them arguments, right? And like coach them in that way, like very hands-on, right? But like I can't, it's actually illegal. Like what I mean by that is like, it's not, it's not according to the rules, right? You can't be, you know, I can't be like typing out their speech for them and you know, that sort of thing, right? So, but this is kind of like this guide. I imagine it not being just information. God has given us the Bible, which is great, and he's lots of information there. And that information tells us about how to live. It tells us actually some very specific information, how to love people, like all this great information. But God kind of went a step further, right? He didn't want us just to have this general information. He wanted a guide, a helper, a counselor to live inside of us so that his spirit is always with us all the time, right? No matter where you go, even if you don't realize it, because a lot of you are like, I don't realize that. <laughs> I don't feel like God is inside of me all the time, like walking around with me, like seeing what I see. But that's the truth. The truth, the reality is, if you are, if you have a relationship with God, if you have the Holy Spirit in you, then God is always with you all the time. He has sent his spirit to be a guide. He knows everything. You know, he knows all the truth and everything. And he's there to help you through your life, right? More than just the information in an abstract sense, but his actual presence, like me being inside my debater somehow and giving them ideas and telling them what to do and what they should do, you know, that sort of idea. Um, let's look at the next slide. Um, when the spirit of truth comes, he will guide you into all the truth. For he will not speak on his own authority, but whatever he hears, he will speak and he will declare to you the things that are to come. Okay, so that's the other thing, right? He guides us into what? Into truth. Um, I just want to kind of make this illustration or kind of point this out, right? Like, I think it's obvious, but if God is the creator of everything and of all life, he probably knows the secrets of life, like the truth of your life, right? He probably knows you better than you know yourself. He probably knows what's best for you, what's the best way to live life, how to best go through this however many years you're here on earth, right? Like, that's the reality. He's the expert, and he's with you, guiding you in that truth. Um, Simple example. The best examples I can think of are things like basketball because, you know, there's a lot of famous good people at basketball, like Steph Curry, for example. Again, like, if I wanted to learn how to shoot and Steph Curry is willing to teach me, I would listen <laughs> because he is probably the expert authority on this issue, right? In the same way you might imagine this Holy Spirit being the expert and authority on life. What is life about? What is the purpose of it? How do you do it? What is meaningful? What is valuable? What should you do in certain circumstances, right? He's going to guide us in the truth. And that last part, he's going to declare things to us. He doesn't speak on his own, right? But basically, he says the things that God tells him to say. I think that's also really significant. Because again, this Holy Spirit basically is how we are confident and sure that we still hear from God today. I think some people have that question. I think I, every time I talk to people, and sometimes I share stories, I mean, Dan's kind of alluding to this, sometimes I share stories where I said, oh yeah, like I felt like God was telling me this. And it's usually pretty specific. Um, and people usually, after I say that, they come up to me and ask me, how do you know that God is telling you that? <laughs> and this is a whole other sermon, a whole other discussion. But I know that all of us in our heart's desire want to know if God speaks to us. Like, does God tell us things? Does he tell us about our future? Does he tell us about our life? Does he tell us the questions that we want to know? When we pray for things, does he tell us? Does he answer those prayers? Like, 
I believe yes. <laughs> I believe there's many parts in the Bible that speak to this idea. And I believe that yes, through this Holy Spirit who is inside of us, who lives with us, right? So one of the ways that we know we discover the truth about ourselves, about life, about the will of God, so on and so forth, we will see this happen in and through the Holy Spirit, right? So obviously, again, hopefully I'm trying to help you see uh, the value of the Spirit, right? Why we should pay attention to this guy in the Bible and why we should maybe learn what his voice sounds like, how do we engage with him, how do we interact with him. One more verse on this, because it's not just information. I think so far, it feels maybe a little impersonal, like I might have Steph Curry with me teaching me how to shoot, but I'm not necessarily best friends with Steph Curry. I don't know if Steph Curry cares about me, right? Um, he might just be there because, you know, like, help this guy be a good shooter. <laughs> um, that's it, right? Like, that's all it is. Um, this is another verse speaking to the heart in some ways of the Holy Spirit and what is he primarily about. Because I think even with everything that I just said so far, those verses, you might still think about, well, isn't that still the conscience? Like, the conscience could be, like, trying to fix me, trying to tell me what's right, right? Like, giving me the truth of information, because uh, sometimes you do do the wrong thing, right? <laughs> um, but this is kind of illuminating that a little bit, and it has to do more, you could say, with the essence or the feeling of what the Spirit is speaking to us and what he's about. So this idea, for you did not receive a spirit of slavery to fall back into fear, but you have received the spirit of adoption as sons by whom we cry, Abba, Father. Um, I think that's the difference. In some ways, the difference is, what does that voice sound like? I'm not saying that the Holy Spirit will never tell you that you're doing something wrong. It's very possible, in fact, very likely that the Holy Spirit, I mean, the Holy Spirit tells me all the time that I'm doing things wrong, but the nature in which he tells it to me is very different, right? Before, I remember this in high school, predominantly the thing that I felt like God was always telling me, I thought, because I thought that the Holy Spirit was my conscience, was that I'm doing things wrong, right? And it was very much my parents' voice. I mean, I think that's where it came from, like this conscience that was in my head. It was because my parents, my mom especially, very high achieving, very high performance. She's very capable. She's very good at a lot of things. Um, she expected that from me. You know, I, I've shared this story before. I got an A on the test. She said, why wasn't it an A plus? And she was serious for a moment. And then she realized she was being ridiculous. But still, like, that's the, the voice in my head, right? So I thought that God was similar. And so the voice in my head would be very similar. Every time I did anything wrong, a sin, something I wasn't supposed to do, procrastination, didn't live up to my expectations, something, I thought that the voice was saying, you did wrong, you need to fix this, you need to be better, try to be better next time, right? That's what I thought. And so a lot of my prayers in my relationship with God was that. I would say majority, over 50% of my, if you could record all of my conversations with God in prayers in my high school life, well over 50%, I'm fairly confident, will just be around that, okay? Um, that is a spirit of slavery, <laughs> okay? Um, Essentially, I mean, I know that I'm not literally a slave, but that's kind of the, what it is, right? All I am is I'm here to do the right thing. God has a bunch of laws and rules. I'm just trying to follow them to the best of my ability. And that's what the Holy Spirit meant to me. It was this, actually a spirit of slavery. And so this verse is very clear. We didn't receive that kind of spirit, right? And because the result of that is going to be fear. Basically, I'm going to be afraid. I'm going to be afraid of doing the wrong thing all the time. I'm going to be afraid of the consequences of these sins. I was afraid that God would do X, Y, or Z, or God would stop listening to me, or he wouldn't fulfill my prayers or answer my prayers anymore if I kept doing the wrong thing. And this is a slavery kind of relationship. On the flip side, what is this spirit, right? Who is this spirit? It says we receive a spirit of adoption as sons 
by whom we cry, Abba, Father. So you can see that this is inverse, right? The opposite of slavery is adoption as sons. The opposite of fear is this crying out, Abba, Father, right? Um, what does this look like? I, I, it's really hard in my mind to understand exactly what's being said here because most of us are not adopted. And even if you're adopted, you weren't adopted into a family like God's, like the Heavenly Father's family. So let me just use this as an illustration. Like, just imagine today, you like go home, you go to sleep, you wake up, there's a, there's a knock or ring on the doorbell or whatever. You open the door, and there's some royalty em- emissary? <laughs> I don't even know what they're called. Somebody, they're like, I'm from the, you know, uh, I don't know anything about monarchies. I'm from the Queen of England, right? I was sent here by the Queen of England, and the Queen have chosen you to be adopted. They've adopted you into their family, okay? Uh, I know that sounds insane, but that's actually what this is saying. Okay? That's actually what the father and God did, right? He's a king, functionally. He has a kingdom, right? And he basically was like, I want you. I'm going to adopt you into my family. So imagine, yeah, okay, the like Queen of England sends somebody who's like, you're adopted into this family. Come, come live as part of this family. And so uh, I don't know, again, I don't know much about monarchies, but I assume that the Queen of England is wealthy. I don't know. <laughs> and I assume that you'll probably say yes, so let's say you go and you live with them. But when you live with them, probably at first if you're living with the Queen of England in the castle of England or whatever, um, in the palace, right? Um, you probably won't feel like a child of that family. You'll probably feel like you don't deserve to be there and you're just like the working, the servants. You know what I mean? Like, cause you're like, why did this person choose me? I don't really know. Like, I'm just a slave, right? So like, you'll probably act that way. You'll probably be like, okay, I don't know. Am I allowed to do this? Am I not allowed to do this? I need permission. Like, you'll probably think, okay, I need to go around and help or I should do something to help someone. Like, you know, you won't really think, oh, I'm a prince and princess now. I own all of this, <laughs> right? You're not going to walk in and think that way. But this spirit, it's like, if the queen knows that, the queen knows like, hey, you're not going to understand that you're adopted into this family anymore. So the queen gives you a helper, a guide, who's there to remind you all the time. <laughs> and is there to be like, no, 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 it's fine. You can order dinner. <laughs> you know, like, you are a child of God. You're a prince or princess now. You own all of this. This is part of your inheritance. This is who you are now. You have a different life. That life is defined by that identity of being in this royal family, right? That's what the Spirit or the Holy Spirit will sound like. That's where the Holy Spirit will cry out on your behalf. You have this intimate relationship with the, with, the, with the king, with the one, with the God, with the father who loves you deeply. That's, that's, don't forget that. <laughs> because a lot of what we do, a lot of what we think, a lot of how we act, right? If you're praying, you're worried about a test grade, you're worried about college, you're worried about your work, your job, your environment, whatever. You're even worried about your kids, their futures, etc. All of those worries, they kind of forget that you're like a prince or princess in the eternal kingdom. You know what I mean? They don't recognize your actual status as adopted children of God. And if we understand that's who we are, maybe that shifts the way we feel, how we think, how we act, how we live through our life, okay? And so this is this idea. This is what that spirit will be saying to us. It'll be reminding us of who we truly are in our relationship with God. Okay, so hopefully... Again, this encourages you to want to know more. I know that I definitely, when I started reading about the Holy Spirit, I was like, oh my gosh, I feel like I don't know anything about the Holy Spirit. (laughs) I really want to know more about this Holy Spirit. And so we're going to look at one of the key passages now, um, Galatians 5, 
that talks about our relationship or our engagement with the Holy Spirit. And it says, walk by the Spirit. But I say, walk by the Spirit. You will not gratify the desires of the flesh. The first thing I want to point out, because I know I'm telling you in some ways, and my goal is to show you a picture of how we might engage with the Holy Spirit. The problem is that the Bible, including Paul, they don't like to tell us. Sorry, what I mean by that is uh, they don't like to be, tell us the way that we want to know. Most of us, when we want to hear and we read, walk by the Spirit. We want something more tangible than that, right? Because walk by the Spirit seems very foggy, fluffy. What does that mean? Okay, I'm walking. I don't know if I'm walking with the Spirit. Um, we, wanna, we, we might think walk by the Spirit equals the things that church generally tells us. So generally speaking, or generally what we hear sometimes at church, what we hear. I don't know if, they're, I don't know if necessarily people are being telling, told this, but like we hear it as, oh, this is just the same as school. You read your Bible, you pray every day, you do good things, you show up to church. That's what walking by the Spirit is. But Paul could have wrote that. That would be very easy. If walking by the Spirit was just read your Bible, do a lot of prayer, go to church, then he could have easily just written that. And then we'd be like, cool, Paul, we'll do that. Yay, right? Like everything would be fine. There's a reason why Paul doesn't want to give us that, that thing that we want. We want a checklist. <laughs> Paul doesn't give it to us, okay? So I want you to sit in that discomfort <laughs> of, I don't know what this means, but something about this image of walking by the Spirit. Again, I will try to illustrate this later, but I want you this idea. What is the idea? Okay, you're walking along with someone, a guide that lives inside of you. You walk, you're walking with them. Simple idea, right? That's the image. Okay, let's keep going. So it says, For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desires of the Spirit are against the flesh. For these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you are not under the law. Okay, so one thing we notice, or one thing we are told about this is that there's flesh and spirit. There's two things. Uh, I don't have enough time to talk about the flesh. The short version of the flesh, I mean, it's gonna, I have to talk about it. The short version of the flesh is that, because the next, the next verse. Um, the, the short version of the flesh is that you could say that for Paul, he has other chapters where he goes into a lot of detail what this is. But basically, it's kind of like, yes, it's kind of like your body, Yes, kind of, but it's also like all the values and society and attitudes and beliefs and things like that that are imprinted on your habits and your subconscious. So like you are told and taught certain things, like shame is another good example, that's ingrained in your culture, that would be part of flesh, okay? Uh, these are basically worldly values, right, that come into play, either from culture, family, upbringing, all that stuff, very, very deeply ingrained in your sense of self. Um, so this is the idea of flesh. That and your spirit are against each other, okay? There's some kind of conflict between the two, okay? Um, and ultimately, he says something very important. He says, they keep you from doing the things that you want to do. So who are you? You are not the flesh, which already, by the way, should ring some alarm bells or something like that, because if I ask you to describe yourself, most of you would be like, well, I'm Chinese. <laughs> I have this background. I have these values. You usually define yourself from the flesh, actually, okay, from how you think, what your values are, what you think about life, those things are often actually, they often can be from your flesh, from your upbringing, from that sort of thing, from your culture. Um, I mean, I'm simplifying, there's complication, but whatever. Uh, the basic gist, though, is that here it's actually saying, actually, you are something different from that. The essence of your being is not defined by your flesh, 
Okay, it's something deeper than that. And actually, you are at the stake. So like, so to speak, the war, the flesh and the spirit are kind of at war, and you are in some ways at the crossroads. You are the uh, result, in some sense, of that tension and that conflict. A couple things to note, though. You are not fighting against the flesh here, right? It doesn't talk about that. Nor does it say that your job is to overcome the flesh. So these bad things, let's say, these values that are not from God, that are from the world, some of them are negative, right? Some of them are not positive. Your job is not necessarily to overcome those things. Okay, I just want to make that clear. Because even also, it says at the very last verse, but if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law, right? There's something about walking with the Spirit and being led by the Spirit that is not about just overcoming those fleshly things, about just doing the right thing, okay? I know that if you walk by the Spirit, you will probably do right things, okay? But I'm just saying that you can do right things and not be walking by the Spirit. Does that make sense? So um, that's something to note here, right? Like, what is our position? We're kind of passive so far, so far. We're encouraged to walk by the Spirit. We're encouraged to be led by the Spirit. But also, in some ways, there's a war that we experience. We experience those, those two sides, you know, the flesh and the Spirit in some ways. The, you know, in some ways, you know, the Spirit tells us, oh, like, you know, God, God thinks of you this way. God wants you to believe this. And then we have something else, our own values, our own ideas from the world, and so on and so forth, telling something different. We experience that, but then we're not told anything in terms of what to do here. Okay, um, he's just illustrating things so far. Okay, okay, we'll keep going. Okay, now the works of the flesh are evident. Sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God. Okay, he gives us a list. That list is not exhaustive, right? He says, and things like these. So maybe for the Galatian church, the church he was writing to, these were some of the things that were most obvious, most biggest issues of flesh that he saw in that church. For us, it could be different, right? For each of us, it could be different. One thing to point out, he says that these are works. He describes them as work. We'll see a contrast with the fruit of the Spirit, which you all know this passage probably very well, but works. And then he also says they're evident, they're obvious. So at least for me, when I think about living by the flesh, so to speak, or all these fleshly work, right? Um, usually for me personally, this comes out in moments, and usually moments when I'm stressed out. So the last three weeks, I've been very, very, sure, very busy. <laughs> uh, it's just been crazy because Thanksgiving, I was telling Anne this earlier, like Thanksgiving uh, for college, that's when all our assignments come in before Thanksgiving. And so I, some of you maybe experienced this in school too. I talked to some, I work with some high school students. I know they feel very busy right now in particular this week, you know. Um, we had debate tournaments uh, starting from a couple weeks ago. There's another one just after Thanksgiving too. Like there's all this stuff going on that I feel responsible for. Um, I'm speaking today and then I'm speaking next week and I wanted to prepare for these things and I'm not, uh, well, I'm theoretically prepared for this one, <laughs> still preparing for the next one. So it just feels like there's a lot on my plate. And usually for me, when there's a lot on my plate, I have a desire to control all those things. <laughs> and so I want to control them all. So usually this creates a lot of mental stress. And the littlest things set me off down this path. And so one example is just yesterday, I remember the, the whole day I was kind of like experiencing this flesh struggle thing, where from the very morning when I woke up, I remember thinking, 
oh my gosh, I have so much to do. I looked at my clock, it was 8 or 3. I'm like, it's already past 8. When you have young kids, you don't wake up after 8 anymore. Like, that's like the latest I've ever woken up in like weeks. And so like, I lost my entire morning. Uh, this morning, I really don't like when there's changes in schedules. I have problems with this in my flesh. So, so there was a change in schedule because we were supposed to have Chinese school in the morning. That usually helps motivate me to run as well because I'll run at the Leland track, which is where they have Chinese school. And then like that sets me off kind of like on the right path for the day. But no Chinese school, no motivation to run. I'm, I know, it's stupid. I'm blaming it on Chinese school, but I could just run. But, you know, let's just forget that. Let's just not, you know, we're going to blame Chinese school. And, then, you know, this sets me down this path where I just feel like really annoyed at little things. So I remember we're going to a birthday party later that afternoon. Eleanor usually gets, uh, Daniel's, their parents usually buy us, like, pastries. And so we usually have that for breakfast on Saturday. But then, like, because of the birthday party, my, Eleanor wants to bring that stuff to the birthday party because it's a potluck. So then I get really annoyed in my head, at least. I'm like, oh my gosh, there's no breakfast either. It's so annoying, freaking Eleanor. Why doesn't, why does she want to bring this thing? And then, so, like, I remember, like, Junie comes up to me while I'm on the computer, my, my daughter, and she's, I'm hungry, daddy. Like, I'm hungry. <laughs> and I say, go ask your, your mom. <laughs> and like, in my, I didn't say it in a mean way, but in my head, in my heart, it was like, this is Eleanor's fault. Like, you know, like, I want to just like do my work and like be left alone. But like now I have to like help the kids. And then I just remember like little moments like that. There was another moment where to me it was very obvious, but I don't know, I don't think it's obvious to my kids, but they don't know what's in my heart. So, so like another moment, like we came back from something. I think it was, I think it was the birthday party. We came back and I was driving Asher back, uh, who's my son. And he was like, oh, like, can we play something? It's like, innocent question. And in my head, I'm like, ah, oh, here's another thing that I have to do. And I, like, I feel like I have to do. And like, you know, it's like, no, I have to work or like whatever. I don't think I said it in a bad way, but I knew in my heart, right? Like I'm in the flesh. It was very obvious to me. It's very obvious to me. Like a lot of that day, there are a lot of moments where I'm just living this out. And it's exhausting, okay? Like it is work, you know what I mean? And I know that this is like momentary. I, I'm very thankful for God and his spirit because I feel like he's taught me a lot of how not to live this way because I imagine a life where that is always the case, where I'm always living out of that reality. And I think one of, these, one of the ways that we want to think about engaging with the Holy Spirit, we kind of want to identify when we are in the spirit, essentially, and when we're not, right? It's helpful for us to say, oh, this is what it looks like to not live in the spirit, right? Because I'll tell you, like, I know, you know, for my parents, they worked super hard, like worked, you know, they were tired all the time. Like I can see this when I was, you know, a kid growing up in their house, like they had to struggle through this so often. Like, I don't know. Like, I honestly don't know. I, I guess it's complicated whether they're Christians or not. So <laughs> I guess if you're not a Christian, maybe this is just your whole life, right? But at least I saw that firsthand with my parents where it's like, they just lived out of this flesh all the time. And it's exhausting, right? It's exhausting. It's a terrible way to live. And I know we experience that at least on a moment-by-moment -moment basis. There are certain moments where we totally get this, right? Okay, let's continue. Now, but, but, contrast, the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with their passions and desires. So um, there's a contrast here. Instead of works of the flesh, it's fruit. There's something organic and natural. It is not hard work. It is something that flows naturally like a plant making fruit. A plant doesn't try really hard to make fruit. 
just makes fruit, right? Functionally, right? It's an organic metaphor, right? There's something relieving about this. Also, it doesn't say that these are evident. That's another thing, right? We might say, we might expect some kind of phrase there for parallel language or English structure or, you know, I guess Greek structure. Um, it doesn't say that they're evident. If we look at this list, I think in some ways it's harder sometimes to know if we're walking by the Spirit or not. I think in some ways it's actually harder, right? A lot of times we know right away if we're living out of our flesh. If we're living out of the Spirit, sometimes it's harder. It's harder to discern because they're very, a lot of these things are very internal. The flesh stuff, there's definitely stuff there that's obviously internal. But here I think all of these things are functionally internal, right? A simple example is like you can look like you're loving on the outside, but on the inside, be like full of hate, right? Um, that's kind of what's going on here, right? You can't tell people's internal states. It's not as obvious, right, when it comes to this kind of thing. And so that's one of the things we see as a distinction. Maybe it's a little bit harder to sometimes to discern whether or not we're walking by spirit or something else. And so there's a challenge here. Uh, but they are fruitful or they are kind of natural or they don't require that work or energy. Maybe that's one way we can notice the difference. One way, like even if you're serving at church, doing loving things, if you are tired, stressed, like exhausted, burnt out, that term, right? Maybe some of that is coming out of flesh. Maybe some of that is coming out of fear or something like that, a spirit of slavery, right? And not out of the Holy Spirit. So again, we can maybe use some of this, uh, these verses to help us distinguish, right? Um, but of course, if we look, I know the next slide is just bolded letters, but if we look at these, all these different um, fruits of the Spirit, I'm going to argue that these are the things that we truly want in life. Okay, I'm going to try to use an illustration to prove this. Um, if we have one person over here who is uh, married with kids by the age of 40, they are uh, project managers at Apple, they work on some secret projects so they get paid millions of dollars, they own a very, very nice house in Los Altos, they send their kids to private school, like we might say, this person, cool life, I want that life. Okay. On the other hand, if we had a person who is at the age of 40, Single, not married, not in a relationship, still living at home with their parents, right? Don't have a job, we would say, we do not want that life. Okay, I understand that. Let's twist it up a little bit. So the first person, right, the person who has all that great job and everything like that, what if they were living a life that was almost always characterized by the flesh? So they're constantly living in a state where they're angry, frustrated, exhausted. They're feeling pressure from their work all the time, all the time, all the time, right? They get in fights all the time. Every single time when they get home, they're already feeling like they're dealing with all kinds of work pressure. They get home, they feel tons of pressure now. Their you know, wife or husband wants them to do something. They have to like tend to their kids. They're just exhausted. They get angry all the time. They get mad. They get into arguments. And this is their life every day. On the other hand, we have this other person, yeah, okay, they're not doing much, they're at home, so on and so forth, but they experience the fruit of the Spirit every single day. They're like walking around, they feel super at peace with who they are, with what they're about. They find ways to love themselves, their family, around the house, maybe their parents. They love other people in the church or through the church or through other people, right? Like they're kind of like their life is defined by joy, right? Like, now who do you want to be? You know what I'm saying? Like, I think on some basic level, even though, yeah, I know some of you are like, we want that and that, <laughs> okay? I know some of you are like, we want both, okay? But <laughs> let's just stop here and say, most of us would say that what we think, we think that the big house and the money and all that stuff is going to lead to these things, right? Ultimately, the reason why in Asian culture, for example, you teach your kids to work really hard to get all that stuff is because we believe that that will give you a good life. 
And we believe that that'll give you these internal states of being, right? So I think ultimately all of us, that's what we really want. We don't necessarily want the doctor job or the big house or whatever. Like what we want is to live through life experiencing these fruits of the spirit, right? And that no matter what our circumstances are, we experience these deeply, okay? I believe that that's what we ultimately want. We ultimately want what the spirit can give us. Okay, so kind of conclusion, right? I think. Oh, I didn't talk. It's okay. I have five minutes. I want to do the conclusion. It's fine. Ignore the rest of that passage. Okay, so um, this is the very last verse of the passage that I'm doing at least um, because in some ways, hopefully, I'm convincing you at least of the desire to pursue the Holy Spirit as a person in your life on a daily basis, um, the, how important he is to your life. Uh, and again, I'm not telling you what that looks like. Like, how do you actually engage with the Holy Spirit? And again, Paul doesn't really either. But if we look closely, I think there's some, something enlightening about this. It says, if we live by the Spirit, let us also keep in step with the Spirit. This is kind of, a, this is kind of the last verse of this section. Uh, he kind of transitions on uh, after this. Um, his conclusion, essentially, is if we live by the Spirit, so if you are a person of Spirit, if you have God's Spirit in you, right, then we should, we, he encourages us to keep in step with the Spirit. So he hasn't told us anything to do up to this point. He didn't say stop the flesh stuff. He didn't say overcome the flesh stuff. He didn't say work really hard to stop that stuff. He says keep in step with the Holy Spirit. And for some of us, at least for me, this is incredibly frustrating because you already told us to walk with the Spirit and this feels just like insane, inane repetition, right? It's just like, you're just telling us the same thing again. You just, you told us to walk and now you're just telling us to walk. You just use a different phrase. Um, it says live by the Spirit. I already know that and then now you're just saying keep in step that's the same thing that's the same thing you're not telling me anything new Paul tell me something new um, but in some sense I do think he's saying something a little new because he didn't just say walk right he's very particular he says keep in step that kind of breaks down the walking process yes <laughs> normally when you walk you take steps <laughs> and if you're led by something if you're living by the spirit just before this it says if you're led by the spirit if you're following someone one way to break down the following process is to think about it as taking a step at a time. I think that we most understand this. Um, I, I've gone on like these hiking trails with Eleanor in, the, in England, and we were walking through these like really muddy, wet areas, and I did not apparently wear the proper shoes, so I was slipping all over the place. And so Eleanor would be in front because she had proper hiking shoes, and I would step literally in her footstep, right? Because that's like the safest thing to do, right? Because I don't know what's, what's safe. And so I'll step literally in the footprint that she was leaving behind because it's muddy. Um, I imagine this is like Paul breaking it down. Like, don't worry about the whole long-term thing, the big picture, all that stuff, all these problems you're thinking of. All I want you to focus on is the step that the Holy Spirit takes, you take that exact step and you just keep doing that over and over. And that's what it looks like to engage or have a relationship with the Holy Spirit. You walk and you keep in step. Okay, what does this physically look like? I don't know, it's probably different for everyone. I will suggest or give you an illustration from my own life in some sense. Um, because this was on my mind a lot the last few weeks. I told you the last few weeks, very stressful. When things are stressful, I at least like to plan everything out. So in my head, I'm like, ah, what do I have to do today? This is usually in the morning. There's five things I have to do. Here's the order in which they would do them. Uh, okay, and then I start to get ready to do all those things, right, in that order. Um, I felt, I didn't read this exact verse, although I was led to it. A couple weeks ago, I was doing a Bible study, I think with some high school students, and uh, I felt like God was actually re, God was 
the Holy Spirit was telling me <laughs> that this is not, the thing I was doing there was not the Spirit. It was like the flesh, okay? Um, I could tell you this because this is based on fear, for sure. <laughs> I was afraid of not getting things done and not th doing things well, right? Um, and I felt God was saying, hey, pointing at this verse, like, just take each step with me. Don't worry about all those long things. Just trust me. We'll walk with, through it together one thing at a time. And when I imagine this idea of one thing at a time, I literally mean in the very present moment. Like, stop trying to control all the things after that present moment. Focus on that present moment, and I'll show you what to do in each moment. And you just follow. And that's it. So uh, going back to the example of yesterday, like yesterday morning, I had a lot going on yesterday morning. <laughs> I had a Bible study in the morning with my sister. After that, we had the Bible study. Uh, sorry, that after we had the birthday party, we had another Bible study after that. I had another Bible study after that with another two people that are in college now, but we're going to meet online. Usually, that takes a couple hours. That one's pretty long. I have a break in theory, but that got filled up. And then I have another Bible study with a couple of other youth kids from Cupertino. Uh, and that takes me all the way to 9 p.m., by the way, starting from roughly 10 a.m. Um, that was my day yesterday, and then I, I wanted to work on this PowerPoint, and I wanted to run through the sermon a couple times in my head. This morning, I had another two hours of debate practice from 8 to 10 a.m., and then basically I had to come here. So that's why I was feeling stressed, <laughs> okay? I could feel basically God ministering to me in some ways from this passage, like, don't worry, stop worrying, because what, what am I doing when I'm worrying? I'm trying to control my own life. I'm trying to say I know the best way to navigate this very difficult, stressful situation, and therefore, I don't need God. I know I'm not saying that, but essentially that's what will happen. What will happen is I won't need God. When I actually have to like depend on God for each little step in the present, I'm kind of at the very mercy of God. <laughs> like, God, I don't know <laughs> if this thing is going to get done. Please help me, <laughs> okay? So I will tell you that I prayed a lot in the last two weeks, and a lot of those prayers were just like, kind of like Abba Father, you know? Like, God, help me. Uh, you're my dad. I hope you know what you're doing, and I hope you love me, and I hope you're going to take care of me because I cannot do this myself, Right? I can't do this. I'm not sure if I'm going to get all of this done. I'm not sure if I'm going to be able to live up to all these expectations and do my best job and do my best work and all this stuff. And it requires me to very, not only be very humble, but I have to rely on him. And that's something I realize about this idea, right? I'm totally relying on Eleanor taking the right steps in front of me. If she takes the wrong step, I'm going to take that wrong step too. Right? And so this idea, you keep in step one thing at a time. And for me, the way that Saturday played out, like I know there are moments of flesh because I'm still stressed out, okay? I'm not superhuman. <laughs> but I also felt a lot of joy. Like the amazing thing was, like I met with those two guys uh, from college. They're guys that, I was, I, that used to go to King's Academy that I you know, have started doing Bible study with. And we would talk for two hours. And even though it was really long, and I could have just been like, I got to get off of this thing. I need to do all my work, blah, blah, blah. Like, because I was really trying to just, like, keep in step with the Spirit, I super enjoyed that conversation. Like, it was not work at all. It did not feel like work. It did not feel tiring. Like, even at night at 8 o'clock, which I usually, before I'm thinking about it, I'm usually like, oh, I'm so tired. Like, I don't want to do this extra meeting. But, like, in the moment, like, it was great. It was, like, so life-giving. It was full of love, joy, and peace, like, those kinds of things, right? Like, I could feel and experience the fruits of the Spirit in those moments of, talking to people, of sharing God's worthy people, right? It was, like, so life-giving. And, like, at the end, at the end of the day, when I was working on um, this PowerPoint, like, running through this whole thing, like, same feeling, you know? Like, oh, like, I'm fine. Like, it's going to be fine. Like, God is going to help me. He's going to speak exactly what he wants to say. 
And all of this is just, I just look at the next thing. I hear what God says to me. Oh, like Edwin, go, like one example, go play ping pong with Asher and, and Eleanor, you know, and I did. You know, oh, go to dinner. This is all yesterday, by the way. <laughs> go to dinner um, at the mall, you know, like, because I didn't know this, but my daughter had two birth three birthday parties that day, essentially. And so, like, I went and, like, you know, like, and all of it was so great. Like, it was so life-giving. You know what I mean? And, like, I wouldn't have experienced any of that. You know, like, internally. I wouldn't have experienced any of those fruits if not, if I, if I took control. You know, if I didn't just focus on, oh, okay, I'm just going to walk each step. I'm going to trust God. I'm going to walk by faith, right? I'm going to trust God with each little thing, and he's going to lead me. I don't know if this is what it looks like for everyone. I have no idea. Maybe for each person, it's different. God is diverse. He engages you. You are all different. He loves you with where you are. Maybe you, for you, walking and keeping yourself in the spirit looks something different. But at least for me, this is what it looked like, right? Um, okay, let me pray for us. Uh, dear Heavenly Father, um, I thank you so much that you are a God who is with us all the time, even if we don't realize it. You are a God who has all the secrets to life, all the ways to live, and you desire so deeply for us to experience your love, joy, and peace, and kindness, and all these wonderful fruits. Um, I know that this is what we really want. We want to live in a way where every moment of our life is just consumed by your love, and your peace, and your joy. That everything that we do, no matter our circumstances, no matter how difficult or ups and downs and all that sort of thing, we're connected with you, we're depending on you, and you come through for us over and over again. God, would you teach us how to do this in our life? I know that everyone is a different step or a different stage or a different process. For some of us, maybe it's just we want to want this, like we want to think about you differently, we want to recognize your voice differently. For some of us, it's just recognition. That's a huge part of this. Uh, for some of us, we want to take those steps of faith. We want to like give things up to you and see what it'd be like to just walk with you and trust you in our day-to-day -day life. Would you help us to hear your spirit, to feel and recognize those emotions that they do indeed come from you, to believe that that is how you see us, how you, what you want to say to us, what you want to give us as the greatest gift, God. Um, help us through this week as we go through it. Be with us. Help us be aware of your presence and help us live by your spirit. In Jesus' name I pray. Amen.